Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Are you ready for the Word tonight? Well, let me tell you, tonight the title of my message is Pro-choice. Uh-oh, come on now. Come on now, let's get controversial here tonight, okay? You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to, you know, to, you know just, just to be, you know, all mamby-pamby. He said, I came, you know, to bring a sword. So let's, let's, let's talk tonight about a little bit about pro-choice. Let me preface this by quoting a Psalms to you. Uh, the reason I'm quoting it is because I didn't put it in my notes. And it's been just, just, you know, been with me all day long. It's one of the first things I read this morning. And uh, uh, it's Psalms 133. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now listen, Psalms 133 is all about unity and about the blessings of God. It's all about even eternal life. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It goes on to say, It is like the precious oil on the head of Aaron that ran down his beard to the skirt of his garment. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure which... Uh, which translation they have up there, but I'm probably quoting King James because I memorized it back in 1980 or so, okay? Um, like the dew on the mountain of Hermon that descends on the mountains of Zion. Now listen to this. For there, where? He's not just talking about Hermon. He's not just talking about the priesthood. He's talking about unity. For there the Lord commanded his blessing even life forevermore, even eternal life. Where is it that eternal life is, is, is commanded? Where, where can we find that blessing? Well, there's every indication from this Psalm of David, every indication that we find it in unity. In unity with what? Well, first of all, in unity with God. When we become one with God, we receive eternal life. Okay? But it's not just that God wants us to be one with Him. God wants us also to enjoy the power and the privilege of being in relationship with one another. 1 John, the first chapter, tells us this. In 1 John, the first chapter, the Bible says that our fellowship is with the Father. Okay? Now, our fellowship is with the Father. That's a part of verse you know, probably four or something, okay? Uh, our fellowship is with the Father. We cannot get mixed up or mistaken. You know, uh, uh, I, you may love and appreciate someone else here on planet Earth, another individual, but your real koinonia, your real spiritual relationship is not necessarily with that person, but rather it's with the Father. And he goes on to say, just two or three verses later, that if you walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Because our fellowship earlier is with the Father. What does this mean? That means this. When I come into unity, it's like the precious oil on the head of Aaron, like the dew on the mountains of Hermon. There the Lord commanded blessings, even eternal life. 
make them one, Jesus said, John 17, as we are one, okay? He wants us to be unified. He wants us to be, you know, he doesn't like, God does not like to be separated from us, and he does not like for us to be separated from one another or to be separated from his blessings. God loves unity, okay? He even said this, you know, that, that our fellowship is with him. So we need to walk in the light. We need to walk because our fellowship is with God. You know, Zach, I love and appreciate you. And we have fellowship. We have a koinonia, okay? That Greek word for fellowship, which means partnership. It means relationship. It means to more than a surface relationship. It means a, a spiritual relationship. We have a spiritual relationship. But we would be mistaken to think that is between us. It is through the Father. And as long as you walk in the light, as long as you walk unified with God's will and purpose for your life, and I walk in God's will and purpose for my life, then we're going to continue to have this relationship because it's through the Father. Okay? That makes sense? And in this relationship, unity is important. Okay? Uh, you know, if, if a husband and wife are not unified, the Bible says that their prayers could be hindered. That means it can be a negative when we're not in unity. Okay? And in Matthew, the, eight, uh, the, the, Matthew, the uh, 18th chapter, the 19th verse, I believe, it says if any two people on earth agree, if they get into unity, if they, if, if they are walking in the light, as, as, you know, as, as he is in the light, and they are in fellowship with, 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 with God and therefore in relationship and koinonia with one another because of their relationship with God, then whenever they agree and pray, the Bible says that, that it moves. It has a power. It moves mountains and moves the hands of God. So unity is so important. The one thing that the devil wants to destroy is unity. And if you look around, after 6,000 years approximately, the devil has been working on dividing families, dividing nations, dividing churches, dividing marriages, and division, dividing you know, our, our political. Our nation is divided along so many lines tonight. And it's the work, the exclusive work of the devil. Well, I can't say that completely because some, I've, I've run into some people that are just pretty nasty. And, uh, and I think it's their carnal nature. Okay? And the carnal nature of man is also kind of tainted. But, but uh, it, it, it is the work and the desire of the devil to destroy unity. That's why uh, the blessings of God are in unity when we are separated and divided it's not the will of god and we miss blessings okay so uh, i wanted to share those things before we begin tonight just psalms 133 first john first chapter um, matthew um, 18 19 and uh, some others i may have mentioned about the importance of unity and it is the target of the enemy. And the enemy uses a lot of things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, to bring division into relationships and to divide us. It is the devil's desire. 
But the devil cannot divide us unless he can find one person to work with him. At least one person has to start working, has to start listening to him, has to, you know, uh, be deceived, you know. The devil cannot divide the races, cultures, customs, unless he can find someone to work with him, unless he can find someone to start spewing forth division, and hatred, and bitterness, anger, resentment. Unless he can find someone who decides, I don't want to be a part of you. I don't want to. I don't like you, and I'm not going to be around you. Okay? Or I'm going to divide myself from you. Sometimes there's nothing you can do when someone else decides that they're going to be separate from you. You know, uh, you know it happens in families. It can happen in the best of families. In fact, it happened in God's family. Okay? Not just once, but several times. So tonight we're talking about pro-choice. And we may talk a little bit tonight about why division occurs. Well, you know, people, you and me, you know, we're, we're, we're very similar in some, some uh, characteristics. And people don't naturally like to be told what to do. Have y'all noticed that? You know, uh, some people more than others. Some people just really buck at being told what to do. They just don't like it. It runs against the grain of their life. And, and they like it even less when they feel like they are being made to do something that they did not choose. You ever had that experience? Of course, not you. But with someone else? You know, maybe someone you work with or go to school with. Or have you ever seen someone or maybe, you know, uh, you know one of the other siblings in your house, not you, uh, being made to do something? People don't tend to like that. It's just not human nature. In fact, it seems to be against the nature of all life. I mean, think about it. We even see it in the animal kingdom. I own a shock collar for this very reason. <laughs> it buzzes, by the way. I hadn't had the shock yet, but it makes a buzz. Why? You know, because I have a little dog that doesn't like to be told what to do. And he doesn't appreciate being made to do it. Well, you know, perhaps we all like to have a say. Perhaps we all like to choose for ourselves. Perhaps every one of us like to make our own decisions. Animals, humans, and even angels. Even angels have been given the right to choose. Isn't that amazing? Sure, everyone has a choice. God created us with the power to choose. But he also gave us instructions on what we should choose. Deuteronomy says, choose life. You know? I've said before you choices. It's your choice. You can choose blessing. You can choose cursing. You can choose life. You can choose death. Let me encourage you. Choose life. Yeah, of course. God created us with the power to choose. And he also encourages us. I suppose we would not like it very much if God 
made us get saved. Can you think about that? I mean, how many of us have not wondered why in the world didn't God just make everybody saved? Why didn't the blood of Jesus just apply to everybody and get everybody saved and get this over with? Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm thinking that we probably wouldn't like it very much if God made us get saved. And if God did save us by force or took away our power to choose, we would most likely resent salvation and uh, further harden our heart, hearts toward him. I, d I don't think it'd work. I don't think we'd have a heart change if it wasn't a choice. It's a good thing for a parent, and God is the ultimate parent. It's a good thing for a parent to teach and instruct and correct and encourage. But there comes a time uh, when each person becomes responsible for their own decisions their own choices, and they become responsible to deal with the consequences of those decisions. God and every parent just hopes and prays that they have given enough instruction, they have given enough encouragement, they have taught well so that their child, as God is looking on us as his creation, that they would choose the right things, make the right decision. Nowhere in the Bible confirms this truth more than the story we find of Adam and Eve and the original sin in the Garden of Eden. For just a moment, we're going to look at this passage in Genesis, and we're going to take the serpent out of the equation for just a moment, okay? Now, we have most often viewed this passage and blamed it on the devil. And indeed, you know, uh, he had his part there. Uh, although he never did actually ask Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. Okay? His influence, and his, his, uh, his influence was felt and his intent was accomplished. Even though he never actually, I mean, he had plausible deniability. He could say, I never did actually ask them. You know, how many times people say, well, I didn't tell them to do it. No, you just laid the bait out in front of them and, incur, you know, uh, yeah, come on now. You know, but for just a moment, let's take this serpent completely out of the picture. And let's focus on the people here who were ultimately responsible in the eyes of God for their own decisions. Okay, we'll be going to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we're well into uh, this, this, this account. And in verse 8, beginning there, the Bible says that the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, now you have this picture. Okay, here's a garden of Eden and there's a lot of fruit trees and a lot of things that they can pray. And listen, uh, God, uh, you know, uh, God gave them a lot of opportunities and the tree of life was there and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in this garden. Now, down in verse 15, then the Lord 
took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it, okay? To take care of it and to guard it. To keep was to guard, to tend, to till, okay? He wanted him to cultivate the garden. He said, I'm going to give you this, but I want you to make a little more out of it, and I want you to take care of it, guard it, keep it, and tend it and till it. Uh, Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now I find it interesting that even in a perfect world, God still had instructions of some things you could do and some things you couldn't do. Okay, uh, we we cannot imagine that 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 uh, you know God left us without instruction. And so you know you can freely eat of every tree of the garden. Uh, but one, but of the tree, verse 17 says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You can eat of every other tree, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, now, this, this gives me a great picture. God is doing something in Genesis. He's creating pictures for us so that we can understand truth and life and eternity. This, this uh, you know, uh, this clearly establishes uh, man in the Garden of Eden, instructed to freely eat of every tree but one. And these two trees that are mentioned are very, very important trees, or they wouldn't have been mentioned here. One of them, take note, is the tree of life. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. And the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But only one of those trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, produced the forbidden fruit. It seems that when God created both angels and men he gave us one of his own abilities the ability as i said earlier and the right and the power to make choices and for that i imagine every one of us is pretty happy okay i think i'm happier having the right to make a choice than i would be having no rights no choices no decisions even though it seems to be a pretty dangerous encounter to 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 be free to choose but that's the way he made adam and eve and they are in a garden they have a right to choose we learn from the scriptures that even angels had a right to choose one-third as we understand of the angels created beings angelic beings uh, 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 you know rebelled against God and followed their leader Lucifer uh, you know uh, as, 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 as we generally understand and followed him in a rebellion and Um, left their first estate. Isn't that amazing? You know, perhaps, I don't know exactly, I have wondered, perhaps they felt like God's way was too restrictive. Maybe they felt like God wasn't fair. Maybe they felt like God didn't understand them. Maybe they felt like God didn't value them. Maybe they didn't like God's decisions. Maybe, maybe in seeing what God was doing, they felt like they had a better idea. Or maybe they felt like Satan had a better idea. Maybe they all felt like Satan was nicer to them than God was. That, that, that they'd be better served or they'd get a bigger position. Or that they could be, you know, something, some reason why it looked like it would benefit one-third of the heavenly host to follow a rebellion against their creator. 
Doesn't that seem stupid to you? It does to me. But nonetheless, it happened. It seems uh, like the fallen angels who we recognize in, you know, uh, in the scriptures as you know, principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, as demons, as wicked and evil spirits. You know, it seems like these wicked and evil demons, these fallen angels, it seems as though that, that they really do enjoy lying and deceiving it looks like they really do enjoy uh, causing fear and chaos it looks like they really somehow you know just relish in inflicting pain and despair and it seems as though that they really you know uh, 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 bring out the worst in the carnal nature of man, and they incite people to do horrible things. They champion evil and depravity. Uh, they separate families. They persecute the innocent. They make sport of every good and every decent person seeking the life of the righteous and the innocent. Walking about Searching for those whom they may devour through deception and, 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 and through worry and fear and anxiety and through turmoil. And their goal is to divide and destroy. Wow. Amazing. Last week I, I studied in, uh, uh, in, in John a message I never got to preach, and I, 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 I do this several times every week, and, and just go ahead and study out, you know, and put some outlines together. And in, in, it, it all dealt with uh, this, this, this concept of Jesus being the shepherd. Uh, it, 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 the three points were shepherd, hireling, thief, you know, out of John 10. You know, a thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. You know, they're, they're, you know, Jesus has a goal and an intent. And it's unity. It's bringing us together. It's reconciling us to God. And he has a goal of reconciling us to one another. His prayer in John 17 was, Lord, make them one with us like me and you are one. And make them one with one another. Make them one together with us and we'll all be one. Let's just all be one happy family together, Lord. Make us one like me. You know, uh, unity. It starts with Jesus reconnecting us to God. And then the Holy Spirit continues for the rest of our earthly life trying to get us in fellowship and relationship and in unity together as, as families and as, and, and as brothers and sisters in Christ and as a church and, as a, and, 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 and across denominational lines and throughout the world trying to amass a power to continue to deflate and destroy the enemies of our soul that's trying their best to divide us. It seems as though our enemies want to take every good thing and make it horrible. The Bible teaches us that there is no redemption for the devil and his angels. However, there is redemption for man. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees mentioned. The two choices. There were two clear choices in the Garden of Eden. And God gave Adam and Eve the right to choose. 
He instructed them, he taught them, he told them, encouraged them what to do as he has been encouraging mankind for 6,000 years in what to do as he did in Deuteronomy. Choose life, okay? It'll be better on you. It'll be, you know, and, and all throughout, I mean, uh, he, he, but we can see in the garden a picture of God giving mankind two choices, life and death, blessing and cursing, It's the same two choices each person faces today. What I don't understand is why would anyone not want to choose life? Why would any person, given the right to choose and, and the instruction, why would anyone choose not to eat of the tree of life and live forever? Let's continue here with the account in the garden uh, 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 after Adam and Eve made their decision to sin. And by the way, let me remind you, something. Uh, this comes from something that I said Sunday morning in, in, in passing, and I wanted to just you know, make it a little fuller expression. I didn't want to leave you uh, misunderstanding or not fully understanding what I said on Sunday morning. Uh, but sin separates. That's the nature of sin, Okay. Sin separates. Number one, this is the very first time we ever saw sin, the original sin, is that is the first thing that sin did is sin separated man from man. Okay? You remember? Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed in the Garden of Eden. And as soon as they ate of that forbidden fruit, as soon as they disobeyed God, as soon as they sinned, as soon as they decided, as soon as they chose death, as soon as they made their decision to not follow God and his blessing, then the first thing that happened is they hid themselves from one another. They made aprons and they hid themselves. They lost their, their relationship. They lost that. It separated Adam and Eve. You know, it's separated. Sin still separates man. That's one of the first things it'll do. It'll separate you from others. Sin separates. Okay? A second thing that sin separates is sin separates man from God. Right after sin separated man and man, Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden. He came looking for them. Where are you? We were hiding. Hiding from me? Why? Have you chosen to disobey me? It it seems like an automatic response. It seems like it's a fixed pattern that when you sin, you're separated. Because even though God is omniscient, he knows everything, nonetheless, he gives us the, the indication that he did not separate them, that he didn't say, you sinned, get away from me. It seems as though that they sinned and it separated them. Automatic. Without God's act, God only knew that in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You'll separate yourself from life. You'll be separated. They were separated from one another. Automatic. Boom. All of a sudden, they became aware. Oh, my goodness. I've got to hide myself. No one can see the real me and I, because I am a sinner. I am, I am unclean. I am naked. I am undone. I don't, I don't want you to see me. No. You know, intimacy. Into me see. I won't let you see me. 
and they were separated from God. Sin separates man from man. Sin separates man from, uh, from God. And, and, and then number three, uh, let's, let's, let's read Genesis 3, and I'll tell you what else sin does. In, in uh, uh, Genesis 3, verse 22, Then the Lord said, Behold, now this is after man had sinned, and God had dealt with Adam and Eve. He had dealt and, 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 and delivered to them the bad news. Then at some point God went before his counsel in heaven, and he says, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from, where, from, um, from which he was taken. So he, God, drove out the man, Adam and Eve, and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The third thing that, that sin does, you know, sin separates man from man, sin separates man from God, and sin separates man from the blessings of God in this life and in the life to come. That is the power of sin. There is an eternal damning power of sin that's dealt with through the blood of Christ. But there's also a temporal you know, separation from the blessings of God here in this life. Jesus not only saves us from an eternity in hell, but he also died on the cross to save us from the hell of this life. And he continues to give us instructions. Uh, you know, God put man out of the garden. Man was separated from eternity, and he was separated from the Garden of Eden, God's intent of blessing and covering and provision. And man had to begin to provide for himself. Wow. Now, I don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden before they chose to disobey God. I read some article recently that one man really believes it was 33 and a half years the same number of years that jesus you know uh, was on the earth i don't know where he got that from i went to pastor ken i said have you ever ever heard this and he said nope i said well, this guy's telling it for truth you know <laughs> uh, you know i don't know i don't know how long adam and eve lived in the garden prior to them eating of the forbidden fruit and disobeying God. And I don't know how long Adam and Eve continued to live in the garden after they disobeyed God. Evidently, they lived long enough to make aprons, okay? And evidently, they lived long enough in the garden for God to come down and walk with them and talk with them and tell them, you know, uh, the, 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 the consequences of their disobedience. And then evidently it was still long enough for God to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, spoken with his heavenly counsel, whoever that was, and make that decision and then put him out. But, you know, no matter how long it was, if it was 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 years, they were in a garden with the tree of life. The tree of life was still in the midst of the garden, and they were in the midst of the garden. I, I know, uh, what I can't understand is why in the world, if you were living in death, and if you were 
living under a curse of sin and living under separation from one another and separation from God and separated from the blessings of God, why in the world wouldn't you reach out and partake of the tree of life and get a brand new life and a brand new perspective and become immortal, eternal, and get this stuff over with? Wow. Now, I know that I'm making a broad brush here because God did not want them to live eternally in their sinful state. But nonetheless, the picture here is a picture of what is happening today because when Jesus Christ came and gave his life on the cross of Calvary, buried in a garden tomb, raised on the third day, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, he became the embodiment of our tree of life. And every day, all day long, men and women who are bound in sin, who are separated from one another, who can't even get along with their neighbors, who cannot get along with the other political party or with another race, who can't even, you know, who are separated not only from others, but also separated from God and separated from the blessings of God, let alone from eternity the tree of life is right there Jesus is right beside them every step of the way now today those of you that are listening if you've never been born again you can reach your hand out right now. You can call upon the name of the Lord and you can put an end to the curse. You can put an end to the eternal death that you are born into. You can partake of the tree of life and live forever. Have your sins forgiven and you can be eternally blessed by Almighty God. You can be born again right now by calling upon the name of the Lord. That's how we today partake of the tree of life. We call upon the name of the Lord. In the Garden of Eden, it was a physical, natural act. Today it is a spiritual supernatural act. When we call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That Greek concept of being completely whole, spirit, soul, and body, of being delivered and set free. It's not just for the person who is lost, but it's also for the person who is born again. Today, if you are separated from someone else, if there's division that's been caused, disunity, if there's disruption in your life, if the devil has divided you from others or from God or from the blessings, if you have disobeyed God, if you have sinned, or if the devil has somehow deceived and divided, you also walk every day right beside the tree of life. You can reach out right now, even if you're born again, and you can call upon the name of the Lord and partake of the tree of life. And if you will walk in the light as he is in the light then you will have fellowship with God and with everyone else in the light and that is our responsibility the only hope I have of being in fellowship and relationship with you is when you 
walk in the light of Christ. Outside of that, you know, it's very difficult to have relationship with one another when you do not have a relationship, a right relationship, a repentant, right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I just wanted to encourage you from something that I said on Sunday to make sure that you know that that sneaky snake is doing his best to separate you from others, to separate you from the joy of fellowshipping God and from the blessing God intends for your life. As the book of Deuteronomy says, this day, prophetically, I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Romans 15 says, the things which were written before time were written for our admonition, for our instruction. And let me encourage you what you can do right now. You can call upon the name of the Lord. You can choose life, okay? Lay it down. Choose life. Don't imagine God's ways are too restrictive, that God's ways are too hard, that he doesn't understand where you are, that, that, he, you know, that, that some other individual or way is a better way or a better counsel. They aren't, okay? Turn it over to Jesus. Give it to him. Call upon him with a repentant heart, with an open heart, and make sure your relation with him, your relationship is right with him, and then see what he will do. When a man's ways please the Lord, the Bible says, God will make even his enemies be at peace with him. Our job is to please the Lord. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.